0: Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you and welcome to this Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla, and I'm all yours for the next hour. As we talk about burns, burns indeed. So uh, it is National Burns Awareness Week. We're going to be talking about the types of burns. We're going to be talking about first aid. We're going to be talking about treatments. I have two wonderful, wonderful guests who are going to be joining the conversation Hetty LaRue, she's a medical officer. She's a medical officer currently working in the pediatric surgery department at Frere Hospital in East East London. And she's, in this context, she's the vice president of the South African Burns Society. Also going to be speaking to uh, Ethel Andrews. She's joining the conversation. And she's a Burns nurse. I didn't even know that there were such specialized forms of nursing. But uh, she's the first nurse to have a Ph.D., in Burns in South Africa. Isn't that amazing? So then she's actually doctor sister. Or is that sister doctor? I don't know, but that's very impressive. She is uh, the first nurse to be represented on the Pan-African Burn Society and the first non-surgeon to be elected as president of the South African Burn Society. She's also a visiting lecturer at the University of Witwatersrand. Anything and everything that you ever needed to know about Burns, you're going to learn about in this Discam Medical Monday. I'm Kathy Kayla, and I would love to hear from you. Coming up, I'm going to be speaking to my guests and asking them about burns. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla, and thank you for joining me. So, according to the World Health Organization, an estimated one hundred eighty thousand deaths every year are caused by burns. The vast majority occur in low- and middle-income countries, and a burn is an injury that is preventable. That's amazing. That's 180,000 people whose lives could have been changed or saved had they not been burned. Joining me on the line right now are two fantastic guests. We've got Hetty LaRue, who is a medical officer. Good morning, Hetty. Good morning, Kayla. It's lovely to join you. Thank you so much. And uh, Ethel Andrews, who's a burns nurse. Good morning, Ethel. Good morning, Kay. How are you? All right. Thank you. So I want to actually direct this question first to you, Ethel. In fact, you know, Let, let me start with Hetty. Hetty, what are the different types of burns that we have? Because it's not only from hot liquid, correct?
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. Although the most common burn that we see is from hot liquids, um, we also see quite a few burns from fire. And then we also get children and adults burning with uh, chemical substances. What about sunburn? As well as sun- sunburn. Is that also, considered um, a burn? It would be considered a burn. Usually we don't have severe burns from sunburn, but we do get the every now and then there is a case of severe sunburn. Yeah. And we also get burns related to... Electrical injuries.
0: Okay, and uh, and I imagine also radiation. So you said you've got yes, radiation. Something. Yeah, liquid, chemical, yeah. electricity, sun, yeah. fire, fire. Sun, yeah. Okay, yeah. so essentially there's two groups then, right? There groups. would be wet burns and dry burns. Fire yes, would be a, a dry burn. Is that correct?
1: A drier burn. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's talk about liquid burns and what we should do about liquid burns. What, what are the first things? Because I, when I was researching this, there are a whole lot of myths about burns. I was always told that you, whatever's burning, you put it under cold water so that it can cool it
1: because otherwise the skin is going to keep burning. Is that true? That is true indeed. So uh, firstly, I need to mention that As you mentioned earlier, burns are preventable. So the number one thing is to try and prevent burns. And I hope we can talk about that a bit later. But when a person is burned with hot water... You want to remove the source of the hot water. So if the child or the person falls into a bath of hot water, remove the child from there and immediately get that area that was in contact with the hot water under running cold water for about 20 minutes or as long as yeah, as long as possible until um, help arrives. Doing this prevents the hot water, or the burn to go deeper into the skin surface and it helps to cool down that area that is burned. If you don't have access to running hot uh, cold water, you can also use a cloth with cold water on it to apply regularly to the area that is burned. Is it true that you should use cool water and not ice cold water? So, cool water is the preferable method. So, running tap water is, is the perfect, perfect temperature to, to use to cool down the, the burnt area, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, myth number two, ice is a good substitute for water when you're cooling a burn. Is that true? Not really, No. So you want to have running water. You want to have the, that effect of the, the cooler water, not ice water, because ice water will also cause damage to the, the epithelial uh, surface of the skin. So, no, you want to use cool water, tap water, not ice. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose, because
0: ice would cause the, the blood vessels to, to constrict, which, dis, um, which deprives the skin of oxygen-rich blood, right? Right. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay, so myth number three if you can't put a burn under running water immediately, then there's no point. <laughs> okay, well, that's a little bit fatalistic for, for a Monday morning. It is, yeah.
1: It is, yes. No, as soon as you can get that water run, that is perfect. So you would want to, even if it takes a few minutes to get to the water, putting some cold water on is better than nothing and um yeah eventually you want to get to to medical help and then the 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 medical staff will will take it from there but that is the first aid thing that you can do at home is whether it takes five minutes ten minutes one minute to get to that water do it as soon as possible myth number four if a burn isn't painful it doesn't need medical attention No. (laughs) so But that is also a busted myth now. Some burns start out not being painful and they can still be quite severe. Um, So sometimes the nerve endings can be burned away and um, you won't feel pain at that area. If you if you, if you feel pain, then, then it is obviously, it, is, it needs attention. But if you don't feel pain, it can mean that all of those nerve endings there have, have, have been burnt away and you won't feel pain, but it's quite severe then as well. Yeah. And myth number five, covering a burn with a clean towel is a good idea. So we do advise people to cover the burn initially with something clean while going to the clinic or going to the hospital. The emphasis being on something clean because the area that is burned, as you would see, that skin is damaged and you don't want something dirty on it because that can induce infection. But if you put something clean on it, covers that area and it prevents germs from getting into that area and causing infection. I heard that cling film is a, is a good temporary dressing. Is that true? That is true. That's very true, yes. If you can get cl- good, clean, clean film to add over to, over the burned area, that is the preferred dressing that we use in the acute setting um, until you can get a, a nice burn cover on it film is the perfect thing to use but not everyone has that available yeah. that's why we advise a clean towel um, is also good
0: well there you go all right
1: so uh, let me introduce
0: my second guest who is hetty Uh, Sorry, Hetty, we were just speaking to Hetty. Hetty is a medical officer currently working in the Pediatric Surgery Department at Friera Hospital in East London. She's also the Vice President of the South African Burn Society. Ethel Andrews is also joining us, and she's a burns nurse. Morning, Ethel. How are you? Good. Thank you, and you? All right. Thank you. Ethel, what are the different degrees of burns? If somebody gets burned, how do we know what degree it is, and at what point we need to get medical attention?
2: Okay. I'm going to answer that one just now. I just wanted to jump in on the myth bit a little. Yes. Um, When you were speaking about cooling down the burn um, and not using ice, the reason also is we need to emphasize is that we want to cool down the injured part and not the whole patient. Because if you cool down the whole patient, then by the time they do get to hospital, there's a whole host of problems. So we want to cool down the burn which is the injured part and not the whole patient. So if, say for instance, it is just your arm that got burned, you're not going to put the whole child in an ice bucket or cold water bucket. It will literally just be the arm that was injured. So right. I just wanted to highlight that because it's difficult to warm up a patient once the whole patient has been cooled down. So we only want to cool down the affected part. Okay. okay.
0: So let's, let's go through the different degrees of burns. Okay. And, and when do we know that it needs medical attention? All right.
2: So when we're assessing a burn in the hospital context, um, we would then look what layers of the skin is burned. So if it is just the first layer of the skin, that's the outside layer, which we can see, we then say that is a superficial burn. So that would be something like a very bad sunburn or a hot water burn um, that just fell on the child. That would normally be a superficial mostly. Then the next layer would then be the dermal layer. Just hold on, before we
0: go to the dermal layer. So that is a burn that you can feel your nerves are still intact. It doesn't damage the nerves. Yeah. Is that correct? No. And those are going to be that's extremely very...
2: painful and they're going to blister. Yes. So that's the, so the hallmark, not really blistering, it would just be redness. The blistering comes in once you had the separation of the first and the second layer. So that would then be a superficial partial thickness. So in layman's terms, a first degree burn would be like just the superficial layer. And then the second degree, that's where you have the blistering. That would be a superficial dermal layer. Okay. Then if it goes in a little bit deeper, then it would be deep partial. That would be the equivalent to a third degree. So here it is less painful because then most of the the nerve endings and stuff are damaged. And then you get a full thickness. So this is the burn where if you read in the literature it says it's a not it's not a painful burn but patient's don't burn uniformly so of course there will be areas that is more superficial and then there are areas that are deeper but typically if it is a full thickness the nerve ending has been damaged um, and that's why it is described as being painless but the reality is it's not uniform so there are areas that are um, where the nerves are still exposed and that is painful so we don't in medical terms we don't use first second and third degree of burns anymore we describe it as according to the layers that are affected okay
0: um so your first one is your superficial burn and that's the epithelial did you say yeah okay your second is partial, and that's not going to be painful yes. would you need to see a doctor for either the superficial or the deep partial
2: it would depend on uh, the burn itself so you can't if we look at the admission criteria or the referral criteria it's like when do you go to hospital so if you have a superficial burn that is the whole body so you forgot you were on the beach and you were laying well exposed on the sun and your whole body is covered and it is red and the pain, the sunburn is painful. So obviously there'll be a bit of dehydration, et cetera. So you'll go to a hospital, they might just treat you with analgesics or painkillers and then send you home. So it depends, it's it's a case by case basis. If it is a small little wound that is deeper, then you would go to a hospital. So if you want, I can tell you when to seek help when it comes to burns at this point. So if the burn is anywhere on on an important functional area, so a burn to the hands means you need to seek medical advice. A burn to the face means you need to seek medical advice. If it is on your um, feet as well, because you need your hands and your feet to, to operate and to be functional. If it is over your perineum, that's your private parts, then you need to seek medical attention. If the burn covers circumferentially, so if it is on an arm and your whole arm is, cov- is burnt front and back, that would then be described as a circumferential burn. Um, if it is full thickness, so if you burn to a fire, then you would need to seek medical attention. If you had a chemical burn, so whether it is drain cleaner or it is a bit of pool acid that fell out, you then need to seek medical attention. If you had an electrical burn, so all electrical burns needs to um, be seen by a doctor. it is a child and this is where a lot of the burns comes in so if it is a child and the the burn size is big so we we uh, calculate it according to the surface area that is affected so if it is a little baby and it covers about five hands of the child like if you use the child's hand and you can cover five patches then definitely you need to seek medical attention if it is an adult then it would be their hand ten times over okay and then also if you are suspecting or Um, neglect or abuse. And those would be the typical ones when to go to hospital for.
0: Absolutely fascinating because now you've just brought in another element to burns. It's not just how far into the dermis, into the skin it's penetrated, but how far over the body it's penetrated does that give us a different definition I mean we've got I know you said that you don't you don't really use first second third fourth degree burns anymore but I think that that's how lots of us really understand it as as lay people Um, what would be third degree burns
2: so a third degree burn would be a deep dermal burn. So when it has gone through the first layer, which is the epithelium, it is into the dermal layer, uh, but deeper into the dermal layer would be a third degree. So it's not full thickness where all the skin and all the muscles are affected.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and then, yeah, carry on <laughs> The other element you were asking about, about the size, so yes. that is referred to as the total body surface area, so that just tells us how much of the skin is involved, um, whether it is a little bit, the size of a rand coin, or whether it is the whole arm, um, it then influences um, the whole management going forward. That's absolutely- so we look at the depth and we look at the surface area.
0: Why is surface area important, aside from the pain element? Why is that critical? It will,
2: yeah. That influences how you would manage it. You would imagine that a smaller burn is less painful, but then also we need to then replace the fluid that that patient is getting. So a patient who has a smaller burn will it will need less fluid because the burn would be less serious. If you would just imagine if you have uh, somebody whose half of their body is burnt and somebody who has just burnt their hand the whole treatment dynamic would be very different so the person that has more skin loss will then be at greater risk of infection they will be losing more fluids and electrolytes for instance um, they will be needing to be replaced more fluid the nutritional support that they will be getting is very different so the extent of the burn is very, very important because it does influence the outcome and the management going forward.
0: If you've got any questions about burns, I'm speaking to Ethel Andrews. She's a burns nurse. She's the first nurse to have a Ph.D. in burns in South Africa, and now you can hear why. Um, she's also the first nurse to be a representative on the Pan-African Burn Society and the first non-surgeon to be elected as president of the South African Burns Society. She's also a visiting lecturer at the University of Witwatersrandt. Ethel, once we've looked at deep dermal burns, are, is there anything more severe than deep dermal, dermal burns?
2: Yes, we have that. That would be your full thickness burn. So, that is the burn that can go into the muscle. It can go up to the bone. So, it means that all the structures are affected and damaged. So, that is when you can't manage it at home. It needs surgical intervention, firstly, to get rid of the non viable tissue. Then, it needs to be covered. So, this is the most severe type of burn that there is that the surgeons deal with
0: when you say surgical intervention would that be like a graft so before you graft, you need
2: to debride yeah so so the graft would be the the step two so step one um, and this is Hetty's area of expertise would be to remove all the non-viable tissue so when we think about a more superficial burn it would be the blister but the deeper you go then you have more non-viable tissue so it starts with the debridement which is the removal, removal of non-viable tissue um, and then they can't just automatically close it so you don't go in for a debridement and a skin graft consecutively they have to give it a few days so that you can either granulate or they will use a substitute to fill up that um, in preparation of the skin graft.
0: All right so let me actually bring Hetty in here Hethi uh, LaRue is a medical officer. She's a medical officer currently working in the pediatric surgery department at Freer Hospital in, the, in East London. She's also the vice president of the South African Burns Society. What is debridement?
1: Okay, so debridement consists of, as Ethel mentioned now, taking away all of the non-viable tissue. When a patient arrives to our emergency unit, we would take off all of the blisters all of the dead skin and if we that there are full thickness burns we would want to get rid of those and um, those areas of full thickness as well either immediately or at a little bit of a later stage and the idea of this is to take away any dead tissue to prevent infection from occurring and um, related to that dead tissue when one looks at
0: burn victims who have been severely burnt the skin has a waxy pallor and it almost it looks almost keloid where where there's very very bad scarring and some of it is raised why
1: does that happen so that has to do with the healing of the area after the burn has occurred and um this has to do with multiple factors including the 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 patient's type of skin how that patient heals and also whether that patient needed skin grafting or not and so some people will heal very well after a burn if they had a superficial partial thickness burn or just a superficial burn whereas somebody who had a deeper burn their skin wouldn't heal as nicely. And sometimes when we do skin grafting for them, the skin that we graft onto the area that was burned will also heal a bit, inverted commas, uh, uh, as a key or as a an uglier type of healing that will take place. So yeah, that, that is just, it, it depends on how your skin heals and what we have to do and how deep the burn was that will affect that and the healing quality of the skin. Can we talk about
0: burn surgery? This is a whole new, I don't know, element of surgery that I'd never heard of prior to doing this interview with you.
1: (laughs) What is a burn surgeon and why is it so specialized? Yeah, so um, burn surgery is a very specialized field because it is such an important part about the of the healing of the the patient so there are different types of surgeons that can become a burns surgeon specialist usually it is a plastic surgeon that will have a special interest in burn surgery but within the pediatric population we also get pediatric surgeons who have a special interest in burn surgery they would um, spend a lot of time in a burns unit and become Novice in the field of burn surgery the idea of somebody that does um that person takes care of the skin as well as the patient as a whole you want to resuscitate the patient well you want to make sure that the the patient survives from the the burn injuries but then you you would be the person that takes that child or that adult to theatre, make sure that all of the dead skin is gone, decide on what type of grafting that patient needs, how you will restore the skin and then once the skin has healed how you will take care of the scarring that has occurred due to the burns and the the grafting that was done.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's just uh, dip into burn surgery for a minute. Tell us about tangential. Is it called
1: tangential? Is that how I say it? Excision. What is that? Tangential excision. I'm not sure, Ethel. Have you heard of that term? I'm not sure if I've heard of that exact term
2: yet. Okay. Yeah, I have. So tangential tangential excision is when they're using a humby. So there are different forms or different methods of doing debridements, um, but essentially that that is to excise means to remove or to cut away. So that then is where they use a humby knife and they, they could use a humby knife and then they remove the non-viable tissue. Sometimes they use a dermatome. So it, it just depends on the surgeon. Sometimes they use a scalpel. So it's on the surgeon's preference, um, but it is about removing the dead um, or non-viable tissue. And it's just a, diff- a different um, terminology that they use for it.
0: How do they identify what is viable and what is non-viable tissue? I mean, is it a different with, color?
1: Yes, it has to do with what the what the skin looks like, feels like, and acts like. So, firstly, usually the skin, the 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 non-viable skin, will have a leathery look and feel to it, and when you press on it, when you try to blanch it, it doesn't blanch, meaning it does not white and pink up again meaning that the uh, blood flow to that piece of the skin has has been burnt away or has died off
0: at what point would one decide on an amputation for a burn i mean these are obviously so, very uh, extreme cases the most extreme yes, cases. It's,
1: <laughs> absolutely it is a very extreme decision that needs to or yeah the last end of the decision needs to be made. Usually cases that needs amputation is when a limb has burned full thickness in a circumferential area and the blood flow to that limb has died off completely and the, say for instance, the the foot or the leg becomes necrotic. So, we would like to prevent this from happening so when a patient arrives with a full thickness circumferential burn meaning that the whole leg or the whole arm has burned full thickness we would do something called escherotomy uh, where we release the tension in that in that full thickness burn to try and preserve the blood flow blood flow within that limb to try and prevent uh, amputation from being needed But once that leg or that arm or that limb, whichever one has um, become necrotic, meaning that all of the blood flow has stopped to that area and the deep muscles has um, started to die off, um, that would be the point where we say, okay, we need to consider an amputation. But this is really a very extreme cases where we weren't able to prevent it. It's actually extraordinary
0: when one considers the human body and all the different systems working at any one time. And how burning can sometimes be our friend when it's used in, in, um, in surgery, right, for cauterizing uh, blood vessels or whatever it is. And on the other extreme, too much can really be a d- an absolute disaster, an absolute disaster i know that uh, in south africa i want to talk about different types of burns Uh, just before we do that though i want to go back to ethel ethel we were talking about the different degrees and you know what percentage of the body how do you tell what percent of the body is burnt and where it can really really be fatal
2: okay so we use a calculation system that has been tested for validity and reliability to make sure that we get it as close to accurate as possible. So the easiest form that is used in most emergency settings is the rule of nines. So the body is then um, divided into sections of nines and then it is then calculated as a total. So for instance, if the whole arm burns, then it would be four and a half, four and a half, and that is then how you get to a nine. If it is a trunk, so the body is split into sections of nines, if that makes sense. Um, So that would be one way of doing it. Or another way would be to use the palm of the patient's or the injured person's hands. So not the healthcare professional's hand, but one hand size is then the equivalent to 1% of the body. So this is why I was making the example of if it is a little kitty, the little kitty's hand five times over, or if it is an adult, their hand size. So so that is the easiest ways, but then there's also more detailed and scientific, um, which is the lint and Browder scale that they use. Um, so you would then, look at the patient and then you would, on the graph, you would chart down which parts of the body is then um, injured. And then from there, you would then make the calculations. So why it is important, as I said, if you look at the transfer criteria, for instance, if somebody overestimates the burn, then you remove the patient from a setting where they will be occupying a bed where somebody more serious could have taken the bed. So it's, it's important that we get the size as close to the reality as possible, because it, it assists with planning what should be happening. It, it's, it's about resource allocation. It's, yeah, so that's that's why we do the calculation.
0: I'm Kathy Kayla. this is DISCHEM Medical Monday. Coming up, we're going to be continuing to talk about burns, but we're gonna look more at prevention of burns. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of DISCHEM, pharmacists who care. It is the 23rd of May 2022. I'm Cathy Kaler and this is diskem Medical Monday. Uh, we are live this morning so you're welcome or a live to this morning and certainly you are welcome to send through any messages and comments that you have about burns. What has been your experience? Uh, we're talking about burns because it is National Burns Awareness Week here in South Africa and... I can remember a few years ago now if you uh, this is just this is a trigger warning you might want to turn off your radio for the next 30 seconds but uh, I was actually I was baking it was probably the last time I baked actually <laughs> and uh, I was taking out some food I was taking out the stuff from the from the oven and by mistake my oven glove touched the hot element it was a very old stove at the time and it melted straight through and I burnt off my finger my fingerprints. And it was one of those burns that I actually couldn't feel at all. And I thought nothing of it. And I went and I got aromatherapy oil and I got lavender oil and I put it on and thank God. It took a while but it <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. Like we, we do burning is something that we all do at some point in our lives perhaps not as stupidly as I was, or as stupidly as I did, but it can happen. I mean, the World Health Organization, according to their statistics, just from 2018, they estimate that 180,000 deaths every year are caused by burns. Isn't that crazy? And often when we talk about burns, we talk, we think, you know, chemical burns, hot water burns, fire burns, electricity burns, radiation burns. We don't consider that sunburn is also considered a burn. Not that I don't know. I'm not sure that anybody's ever died from sunburn, but it is very, very serious. And the thing is that it's preventable, and that's the most important thing. We're going to be talking about how to prevent it. Joining me is Ethel Andrews. She's a burns nurse. She's the first nurse to have a PhD in burns in South Africa. Ethel, are you doctor sister? Or are you sister doctor? Or are you doctor?
2: It depends on the day of on the day of the week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive, I have to tell you.
2: And also joining
0: us is Hetty Larue. She's the vice president of the South African Burn Society. She's also working in the paediatric surgery department of Faro Hospital in East London. So. Uh, <laughs> ethel i've got a question for you and uh, in fact it's for both of you and you can decide who's going to take it this is from marianne morning marianne it's always lovely to hear from you she says good morning two very knowledgeable women in this field she says my cousin lives in a small bush community in Inhambane, in mozambique over the past 12 years she has tended to burn victims most predominantly small children with fire burns, since that's the main method of outside cooking in three-legged pots. Over the past 10 years, burns have resulted from synthetic fabrics that are made in China And that are sold to these indigent communities the synthetic fabrics are highly flammable and literally melt on these hapless little ones how is it best to treat such a burn wound? and you have raised something so important because we don't often consider the fabric itself and how flammable that is so I'll tell you what Hetty, can um, uh, Ethel can I direct this to you please
2: okay sure so the question was, how do you prevent it or how do you treat it? How, how, do, you, you treat how it? do
0: you treat it when the fabric, you know, these, these Chinese synthetic mm. fabrics, they actually melt onto the skin and they, they can make the burn a lot worse.
2: Yeah. So even th- when Hetty did her how ha, the first aid, she said remove the, the heat source. But in the case when you are having a synthetic fabric burn into the flesh, we say just cool down the burn without removing it because once it is stuck, onto it when you are ripping it off it actually does more damage so in those settings we would then say Cool down the burn as much as possible with cold running water, if possible. If you don't have cold running water, then you would interchange a towel, but it is about cooling down the burn and stopping the burning process. So the take-home message would be stop the burning process. So you need to get that synthetic fiber as cool as possible, and then let them remove it um, without doing too much damage to the underlying layers when you get to a health setting. Some of the settings are very remote we know that some of the areas will take a couple of hours to get to the setting then so you we wouldn't start treating so don't put butter on don't put anything on the best thing for that wound at that time would then be a cold wet towel and then once that towel warms up you change it and you put another one but only on the burnt area Um, and then try to get the child to the facility as quickly as possible, because it depends on the heat source and the time of exposure. So we want to minimize the time of exposure. Unfortunately, we're not going to be in a position where we can regulate um, which fabrics are coming in because it's a cost thing. So if it was up to us, we would say non-flammable fabrics for everybody. But the reality is this is not going to happen. So try to keep children away from the open fires, um, which isn't always possible if the primary caregiver is the child himself in in a lot of circumstances. So the big take-home message in that setting is not to rip that clothes that got stuck onto the child off the body because you'll probably be doing more damage but just to try and cool it down until the definitive care is available.
0: Yeah what happens if you can't get that child to a hospital it's a very very rural area I mean is there a way to treat those those burns in such a place or is it is going to a hospital non-negotiable?
2: So one has to err on the side of caution when you say don't take the child to hospitals um, because the best would be medical um, care. But if if it's not possible, then you would start doing the basics. So you would start giving the child enough fluids to replace what is being lost. Because remember the purpose of the skin is to keep your fluid and your electrolyte balances inside your body and to keep bacteria out. So in the absence of being able to do that for themselves, we then have to step in and do it. So it would be important to give that child fluid replacement. So it would be the mixture of the sugar with the salt in water to make sure that they remain hydrated. It would then be to prevent infections. So remove any dirty, or whatever, if you've got a clean towel, put it on there. If you have access to cling wrap or a clean dressing, put it on there. Most people would also have some sort of a antimicrobial available. So it, it ideally you would want to get the child to a hospital setting because we find that those children that don't get to hospital, they they heal in an unorganized manner and those are the patients then that have the terrible scarring, um, the neglected burns that becomes infected. So if possible, um, yeah, try and get the person there. Telemedicine, so one of the, better things that came out of covid is that we had to embrace technology so take a photo and then send it to somebody like Hetty or myself we can look at it we can ask what resources are available and we can put a, a plan in place so you don't have to be isolated even though you are far off away um, telemedicine has opened up the world to us
0: incredible so uh marianne i'll get in touch with you and uh, pass on the contact details for this relative who's working in rural Mozambique. Thank you so much for getting in touch. If you would like to be like Marianne and you have questions, you have comments, I have the most fantastic, fantastic guests. So uh, please... Get in touch, 34519, that is the text line, or 61 Joining me is Ethel Andrews, who's a burns nurse, and Hetty LaRue, who is a medical officer. I want to talk about, can we talk about prevention? Because I think that that's very, very important. All the different types of burns that we have, whether it is, you know, fire burns, whether it's a, a wet burn from boiling water, which seems to be quite common, okay. unfortunately. Uh, we've also got radioactivity, electricity burns, friction burns, contact with chemicals. How, can we go, you know, case by case or uh, category by category, to talk about how we prevent it? Who would like to? Who would like to take this, Hetty?
1: Yes. So I think we can start with hot water yes. if you're happy with that, yes. because uh, we see that quite often in South Africa, especially. So, yes, so preventing hot water burns usually is around the kitchen. Now, I have a two-month-old baby, and I think for the first first time in my life, I really realized how quickly an accident can happen around hot water. Thinking of making yourself a cup of tea and um, bringing it close to your baby or your child, it's such a huge risk. So, basic things that we can do in and around the kitchen with hot water is to not bring hot water close to a child when you make yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee let it cool down before you drink it with your child in your arm or if you drink it hot keep your child away from that element when you boil water in a kettle make sure that the kettles lead or the kettles um, cord is not sticking over the edge of a counter or the edge of a table meaning that a child cannot grab onto it and pull that kettle of hot water onto him or herself. When you boil water on a stovetop, make sure that the pot handle doesn't stick over the stovetop or isn't reachable for the child to pull on and pull off onto him or herself. When you boil water in an urn like we have in some of our communities, those big bucket urns, make sure that it doesn't stand on an unstable surface and can be kicked over or pushed over easily. And make sure that you teach your child from a very young age that they shouldn't come near a hot water or an element with hot water in it another area where we see a lot of children getting burned is around bath time so what some people do that is incorrect is they would put the hot water into the bath or into the basin first and then bring cold water to cool it down to the right temperature that is incorrect so the best way to do it is to start off with cold water into the basin into the bath and then add hot water in a very stable manner or in a very controlled manner until the water is the correct temperature to bath your child in and this can be done by putting your elbow in it or putting your hand in it and making sure that it is a lot colder than water that you would bath in usually around 34 35 36 degree if you have a thermometer another thing to do with with looking at at water is um to make sure that you you teach your child safe cooking habits so once your child gets to the age where you want him or her to start helping you around the kitchen make sure that you teach them how to boil water in a safe manner and how to turn the the pot inside how to not bring the kettle over because many times It's our younger children that takes care of um, young you have young children taking care of younger siblings around the house as well and we want to make sure that we know that these children are safe around the kitchen ethel i don't know if there's anything you want to add on hot water there there might be a few things that i missed out uh
2: yes i just wanted to add uh, a lot of the patients that have epilepsy we find that they would go into the shower for instance and have a seizure and then they're unable to get themselves out so it's always a good idea for all of us not just patients with epilepsy to turn your geezer um to a safer temperature and not be extremely hot because in the event of a seizure um, you don't want that patient to get burned and be unable to help themselves to get out so on the hot water thing i think that that is just what i wanted to
0: add you know, this is exper- your experience talking. I would never in a million years have even considered that a possibility. It's unbelievable, Ethel. Thank you so much. All right, so that's hot water. Can we talk about actual fire? How do we prevent children from burning themselves with fire? And I, You know, obviously there are sometimes there are those anomaly, those accidents where... I mean, I can remember, <laughs> my son's going to kill me for telling you this, but, but then it is, it's just us talking, right? <laughs> he was about two years old. I don't know where, I actually can't remember where he got, where he got um, the fire from, but I was sitting working at my desk, and in my peripheral vision, I see this little one running across my doorway holding a towel, and then I see him wa- run back the other way and the towel again, holding the towel out. And somehow he had lit the, f- the towel on fire and he didn't know what to do with it. So, and he was little. He must have been about, I don't know, must have been about two or three. And he was running up and down the passage with a towel. And that could have really ended very, very badly. So you never know where children are going to get access to, to fire. How do we prevent it, though?
2: Yeah, firstly, keeping the matches out of little hands reach because they are explorative and they have seen mummy or daddy light something and they try it. And yeah, so so keeping matches stored away somewhere and we take it for granted that they will know that this is dangerous and they don't. And I find now with, with a lot of load shedding, um, mm. the problem of, of our time is that more of us are now making use of... Uh, flames as a heat source, for instance, you would um, set, you put your fireplace on, etc. So never leave your fire unattended. So when you go to bed at night and it is load shedding, rather extinguish it before you go to bed because accidents do happen in the blink of an eye. Another thing would be and we see this a lot in summer where the bride just doesn't want to get started and then the husband is a bit impatient and he takes petrol and he tries to ignite the flame. And it has an opposite opposite effect so putting petrol on an open flame is never ever a good idea not putting thinners or paraffin because guys feel very brave Uh, fire alcohol saturday evenings it's it's a recipe for disaster
0: yeah
2: also um, never leave candles unattended as i said we are using candle as a light source now with with escom when you are going to a different room don't leave the child there with a candle. And a good idea is to put your candle in sand because if the candle does fall over the sand will then um, blow the the flame out so then you then don't don't set your whole house alight Um, and then yeah so those would be the open fire things and then if you do have epilepsy for instance maybe make sure that when you are brying that there's somebody in the vicinity because seizures happen at any time
0: absolutely amazing we are completely out of time And uh, it has been really a delight. And even though we're talking about something very, very serious and very grim, Burns are very grim. I don't think that there's another way to describe them. Uh, I really say thank you to both of you for the incredible work that you do and for sharing the information with us. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah. Yeah. I wanted to just tell you that my guests were ethel andrews who's a burns nurse she is the first nurse to have a phd in burns in south africa she's the first nurse to be representative on the pan-african burn society and the first non-surgeon to be elected as president of the south african burn society she's also a visiting lecture at the university of the witwatersrand ethel thank you so much for sharing your information today and your knowledge with us. And also joining us was Hetty LaRue. She's a medical officer and she works at the in the Pediatric Surgery Department at Frere Hospital in East London. She's also the Vice President of the South African Burns Society. This has been Discan Medical Monday. I apologize that we just ran out of time. So much information coming through. If you've just joined us, and you'd like to listen to the whole disc in Medical Monday? You can get to highfm.com where you can download the podcast either on our website or on Spotify. From myself, Kathy Kayla, I wish you a wonderful, safe, healthy, and blessed week. I'll be back next Monday. God bless. Stay well. Bye.